0: Hey, guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. I'm here with another Figured Out Baseball podcast today, and uh, we're joined on the call today by Brian Torsani. Uh, Brian is the head coach at Arcadia University. It is an NCAA Division III school in Glenside, Pennsylvania, in uh, southeast PA here. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of background on Coach Torsani before we jump into questions with him and let you get to know him a little bit better. Coach Torsani is a Hatboro, Pennsylvania native. He started his playing career at Penn State Abington, which is a division three, uh, NCAA division three school. He was there for a year and a half before transferring to Elizabethtown College, which is a division three in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. At Elizabethtown, Coach Torresani was a three-year starter as a catcher and a first baseman. The team made three straight postseason appearances while he was at Elizabethtown, including winning the conference championship and advancing to the regional in 2006. And uh, Coach Torresani graduated from Elizabethtown in 2006. 2007, he coached and taught uh, social studies at Hatboro Horsham High School, also in Pennsylvania. Uh, there, and During that time, he was also the head coach for the American Legion team for two years, and both of those American Legion teams went on to win the league championship. From 2008 to 2012, he was an assistant head coach at Chestnut Hill College, which is a Division II school in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, in 2008 and 9, he coached the outfielders, first baseman, catchers, uh, rec- did the recruiting, the bulk of the recruiting there, and then in, uh, from 2010 to 12, he worked primarily with the pitching staff, which is kind of an interesting dynamic for someone to jump from, you know, from hitters to pitchers. Uh, coach Torresani also earned his master's degree from Chestnut Hill in 2010. In the fall of 2012, he was hired as an assistant coach at LaSalle, which is a Division One school in Philadelphia. He was hired to be the recruiting coordinator and also coached the hitters, catchers, and outfielders. However, in the spring of 2013. He was also hired as the head coach at Immaculata University, which is a Division III school in Malvern, Pennsylvania. Uh, during his time there, he had four straight winning seasons, including setting a school record for wins three straight seasons. He had 14 students on the conference all-academic team in 2016, and in four seasons total, he had 26 players named to the all-conference teams. In 2017, the spring of 2017, he was hired as the head coach at Arcadia, where he still is. Uh, 2017, his first spring there, the team won the conference championship and went to an NCAA tournament for the first time since 2004. That year they won 33 games, which was a new school record. Um, coach Torosani was voted the conference coach of the year that season. He also had eight players voted to the all-conference team. In 2018, he followed uh, follow up the first season there by winning the conference championship again, going to the NCAA tournament again. Uh, that year, the team won 31 games, which was the second most wins in school history. They had a player named Conference Player of the Year that year, uh, the first ever from Arcadia, and also the same player was uh, voted an NCAA Division III All-American, also the first All-American from Arcadia. In 2019, the team won 25 games. Coach Torrsani, now in three seasons, is 86-46 as the head coach. And this, folks, is for a team that won less than 10 games four times in eight years before Coach Torresani got there. So a, a pretty amazing turnaround and, and a good string of success that he's having now. In 2019, the team had eight more players voted to the All-Conference team. He had a player set the school's all-time hits record on April 1st with about one full month of the regular season left to go. Uh, so Coach Torresani, it's it's a it's a great resume. Um, and I've really enjoyed our conversations personally, so I'm I'm glad to have you on a podcast here where some other people can get to know you a little bit.
1: Jeff, thank you very much. I I appreciate the the introduction and um, admire what you're doing with Figure It Out Baseball, and I'm glad to be a part of it and looking forward to talking today.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. So Coach Torsani's also got quite a few videos on the website. If you haven't checked it out, it's figureitoutbaseball.com. You can check out videos from Coach Torsani on a number of different things. Um, He's got a lot of base running videos, got some team stuff on there, and hopefully we'll have some more videos from him uh, coming in the future. Uh, but, Coach Torstani, I, I, I typically – I like to start with some things that kind of stick out to me uh, from from resumes as I'm, as I'm kind of reading those. And, um, you know, just for you, the one thing that I, I have circled and just uh, – uh, I don't know, just something I think is, is interesting, especially for maybe young coaches out there, is that you got your master's degree uh, in 2010. Um, when I first started coaching in college, I was told that you needed a master's degree if you wanted to keep coaching and you wanted to be a head coach. I I believe that's changing maybe a little bit as far as, you know, the absolute need for one, but, uh, in your experience, has a master's degree helped you in the coaching world in any way? Do you think that that maybe gives you a leg up on some other people if you apply for jobs or, you know, for a young guy out there who wants to coach in college or maybe has, has got his start? You know, is that something you'd recommend, or is that just, you know, for you, a personal choice among coaches? Uh,
1: I think it's it's been really important for me. You know, I was fortunate that, um, you know, when I was at Chestnut Hill College, I was also uh, part of the undergraduate admissions staff there um, as as an admissions counselor and eventually worked my way up to associate director of of admissions. And uh, so I was able to get my master's for free, which was really helpful. I know a lot of young coaches just starting out, maybe volunteer or um, make make little money, and, and that can be a little more difficult, but certainly the GA route uh, at different places is very beneficial for, for guys to get a start, and I do think now that I'm on the other end of things that I'm on hiring committee here at Arcadia for, for head coaching positions when they become available um, and going through those processes, I do think having a master's degree still holds uh, some significant weight. I think baseball is a little bit different because of so many people having professional experience that, that end up in coaching that Sometimes that playing experience can outweigh the, the masters, but um, I still think it's an important, um, you know, thing that
0: to, to to strive for. Are there a lot of graduate positions out there nowadays? I don't know if that's another thing that's changed. I know that that, you know, again, when I first started coaching, I heard that, you know, my mentors, when they first started coaching, GA positions were about the only way to go. Are there still some of those out there? Are they more prominent at, at, at one level or another as far as, as you're aware? Yes,
1: as far as I'm aware, they're not really they're not allowed at the division one level in terms of on field coaching GAs. Um so they're definitely more prevalent at the division two, II, division three and NAIA level, um, where a lot of times, you know, some schools will sort of that that'll be their main assistant will be it will be a GA and uh and is a really good place where you can get a lot of responsibility as a young coach and uh and really get a good foot in the door. So um, you know, I know nta.org dot. org and the the marketplace there's a really good reference uh, for positions that become available, including graduate assistantships. So I do think it's somewhat prevalent in baseball. I wish there was more of them out there. We don't have one currently in Arcadia. I think it would be a great asset, and uh, and I do think it can be a really beneficial way for a young coach to go if they can if they can
0: get one of those. Tell me again, what what's the website if if coaches are interested in kind of seeing what's out there or, you know, got, maybe just graduated from college is looking for something, looking for maybe a start?
1: Sure. It's the, it's NCAA.org. Um, and it's under the uh, employment um, section of the website. I think it's called the NCAA Marketplace. Um, so if they can just kind of scroll through NCAA.org, it's pretty easy to find. And uh, you can search it a number of different ways, you know, via keyword or, or, or geography
0: or whatever the case may be. So it's pretty user-friendly. Does the ABCA still have on their website, do they still have coaches posting job openings as well? Yes, they
1: do. Yep, their job posting on on that as well. And I know a lot of the GAs get posted on there. Uh, Skippers Dugout, which is a Twitter handle, um, that, that does a really nice job posting uh, job openings. And they also have a website. Uh, where they they post job openings on their board as well. Those are really the three main um, outlets that I can think of off
0: the top of my head where I see a lot of the baseball jobs get posted. Okay, I don't know if, if you've ever had any uh, success with your own with yourself, but my my first uh, I guess my second job my first job where I had a lot of responsibility was at a junior college in Iowa, and I know that I found that. Through the ABCA website, it was posted there, and and I just kind of blindly applied for it and got it, and that really set the kind of trajectory for my career. So certainly would recommend that to anybody who's looking to get into coaching and, and, you know, just want to see what's out there and want to see what's available. Um, Another thing that sticks out to me, and this is one of my favorite things to talk about on on any kind of podcast that I do, is is the winning part. Uh, You've had a great track record of winning pretty much everywhere you've been from your playing career all the way through. Uh, your coaching career, and it's pretty rare for someone to take over as a head coach um, and, and have, you know, the immediate type of success that you had. Um, it, it is, that was your first year at Arcadia where you guys, you went to, the, uh, went to an NCAA regional for the first time since 2004, you know, set a school record for wins that year? How much of that, um, not to, you know, ask you to pat yourself on the back, but how much of that was already in, in place with the players you had? How much of that was maybe kind of a just some of the things that, that you wanted to change or bring into the program. Uh, can you just kind of speak about that first year for us at Arcadia?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, it, I'd be remiss if, you know, if I didn't mention that there was a great uh, stable of players that were here when I got here and, and Ken Spangenberg, who was the head coach prior to me um, who, who left to, to run a uh, travel organization in this area was a, was a phenomenal recruiter uh, here at Arcadia and a really good coach as well. And so, Um, The program was well-positioned for success when I got here, and so I certainly don't for a second think that it was just me that, uh, you know, that that's the reason why we did what we did that year. Um, I was also very fortunate to to have two holdover assistants um, from the previous year in Jimmy Goulden and Will Kaufman. Um, Jimmy was our pitching coach, and, and Will coached our hitters. And so they were here the previous year and knew the players and knew the roster inside and out. And so that was a huge advantage for me coming in to have a bridge um, between myself, you know, and the roster. And just the way it worked out, we had five seniors on that team who, for whatever reason, uh, decided to buy into what I was selling. And, um, you know, that really sort of... um, got its way down the rest through the rest of the roster and and there was a lot of quick buy-in and and we were able to to have a really really good season and, and but I I do think a, a lot of it had to do with our assistant coaches and and uh, their roles in that year and, and really educating me on the conference and the schedule and it was all new for me so you know there were certainly some some culture aspects and things I think that we did a little different when I got here that helped but by and large, those seniors and those two assistant coaches were really a major part of, of the success of that season.
0: So you've been able to sustain the, sustain the success since you've got there, um, and you just mentioned team culture. Would you talk a little bit about what team culture means to you and and how you've been able to establish the team culture that uh, that you have now at Arcadia, maybe some key elements to that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that, that culture thing is such a buzzword now. And, and uh, I think it's really pretty simple. I mean, we do have a, every year we have a, a player expectation meeting at the beginning of the fall. And, you know, I do have a detailed packet on the expectations and some of the rules of the program, of the program and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, what we're really trying to preach to our guys is to just be a good citizen and, and, and give their best effort in, in everything that they do. So, you know, we start in the classroom and, And, uh, you know, work from there and and, and the practice field and the weight room and sort of everything sort of coincides with each other um, where we're really just asking them to to give their best and and don't do anything that's going to reflect poorly on themselves, their family or the program. I mean, that's really the the simplest form. And I I think past that, the thing that we've done well and, and the thing I think you can let slide is. Um, it's almost like taking care your, your team culture is almost like taking care of a plant to use a, a poor analogy, but you got to give it water, you got to give it sunlight. It needs attention every single day to grow and uh, And I think that's where we try to you sort of just continue that culture because you know the point we make to our guys is you know their their grades and the reputation around campus and sort of their character and everything that goes into that um carries over onto the field. Like there's a reason why we've had success and it's not just because we're talented baseball players, it's because our guys have held up their end of the bargain in those other areas. And, you know, to sell an eighteen to twenty two year old kid on that can be difficult, but um when they see it start to happen and and the results are what they are, you know, on the website in terms of win in terms of wins and losses, you know, I think that's really how you can can kind of generate that buy in. So, um, you know, it's 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 interesting, we're in the off season now and and so we don't get a lot of contact time with, with our guys face-to-face in terms of, like, being on the field or things like that. But, you know, just, just little things, whether it's a text message to a specific guy or a text message in, the group, in our team group about, um, you know, anything culture-related or just conversations in the office. Like, everything we do sort of comes back to, to that culture. And we pride ourselves on three things, and it's just the acronym E E A T: effort, attitude, and toughness. And uh, we kind of have some subsets on all, those, all three of those things, but um, those are the three things we think guys can control on a daily basis and, and try to hold them to that standard. So um, I think it's been the driver, driving force of why we've had success here so far.
0: When it comes to team culture, what's more important? bringing in players that are going to that, that you feel like are the right personalities to buy in, or having coaches that live and breathe the culture all the time so that the players sort of absorb it. it is I think one of those is more important than another as far as establishing again, I, you know, I, I like to kind of gear some of these questions toward hey, somebody that wants to replicate your success, how can they do it? You know, so do you yeah. think it's more important to have the coaches around you who are all uh, on the same page with one another all the time, or is it more important to bring in a certain character of kid that you maybe know from past experience, like this is the type of kid who's going to buy in and is, and is going to, you know, going to help us to sustain that culture?
1: I, I think it's, I don't know if one's more important than the other. I think they, they kind of go hand in hand. And I know, you know, you you probably have a stable of, of high school coaches that, that might listen to this podcast too. And, they, and some of those guys, I, I'm the son of a high school coach at a public school. So I know for, you know, they don't get to pick their players every year. So that can be difficult. Um, You know, you do get some say in your coaching staff, and and maybe sometimes those are even hard to find really good candidates that have the time to to do that for for a small amount of money. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think regardless if they're players or they're coaches, you have to surround yourself with people um, that, you know, are are willing to kind of pull on the same end of the rope. And uh, certainly through – and we're just talking about our experiences here through our recruiting process that's the, the camp, their campus visit and, and our subsequent conversations, a big a big piece of that is trying to parse out, um, you know, the, that part of it. Like, that's what we don't know until, almost until they get here. You can get an idea you can talk to their high school or travel coaches about their character and things like that. But, um, you know, there's been times when I've just sort of had a gut feeling that this guy might not be the right guy for our program and he might be talented, but we decide to sort of uh, not pursue the recruiting process with that person. But Um, When you're talking about a coaching staff and like, I've been really fortunate to to have assistants that, um, you know, really live and breathe that culture. And um, when I look at hiring assistants, that's a huge part of it for me. I I think the baseball piece is one thing, but if I I can't trust somebody and they're not somebody that can help me drive the culture for what we're looking for, um, then it's probably just not going to work. I mean, it has to be one voice from the coaching staff uh, that, that really resonates with the player so that they know the expectations day in and day out.
0: What kind of questions are you asking assistant coaches when you're going to hire somebody to know whether or not they're going to be that type of coach that you really need them to be?
1: Yeah, I, I always like for them to give me examples of of things. So I, you know, I, a lot of times when I do hire assistant coaches, they're coming as as assistants from other programs. Maybe they were a graduate assistant and, and this is kind of going to be their first sort of quote unquote paid position. So, um, you know, I'll ask them like, Hey, tell me about a situation where you, you know, the head coach made a decision that, that you disagreed with. And, um, you know, basically how did you handle that? What, what did you do? Did you sit down with the head coach and have a conversation? And did you talk behind his back and, and, and to the players and and just give me an idea of like how, how you would handle that situation. If it was, if it was you and I, Um, because certainly if you hire good coaches, then they're going to be guys that um, are going to have their own opinion and you want them to have their own opinion and and bring ideas to the table. But at the end of the day, um, the head coach is the guy that, that sort of has the hammer. So you need to make sure that regardless of the decision you make, um, that they're going to have your back, you know, on that standpoint, um, you know, I think I think some of the other things that, that that I like to ask guys in that situation is like, why why do you want to coach? Like, why do you want to be a coach in college? And I think just an open-ended question like that and that answer can um, really reflect on on the type of person that they are. I mean, I know even for me as a young coach, it was it was kind of all about the wins and losses and and the competition piece of it. Like, you're just coming off being a player. But as I, I've grown in my career and, and, and started a family and, and all that, it's funny how your perspective changes. And, and you know, the reason that I do what I do is because I want to impact, you know, young men that, and help them in their lives, you know, past the baseball field and, and continue to have relationships with those guys 10, 15, 20 years down the road when they're starting their own families and, 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 and really beginning, you know, the bulk of, of the rest of their lives. And, and so it, and you get a young guy on the phone and can ask him that question about why they're doing what they're doing, I think that can really open up a lot about that person.
0: So when you, if you're bringing in a young coach, would you rather have the coach who has your perspective of, of impacting players is the most important thing, or would you rather have yourself as a 22 year old who, who really wants to compete and win and, and you know, sort of have a balance with, with your, uh, point of view at, at this time? Is there, uh, you, just for you personally, is there one that's a, that's a preference for you over another?
1: Yeah, I want the guy, I, I really do want sort of the 22-year-old version of myself, because I think, not that I'm not competitive, I always I always make the joke that I'm the most competitive guy in the room, and, and when push comes to shove, and like, I want to win just as badly as anybody else, but, you know, at the end of the day, you, you got to have somebody to kind of, to, to help kind of push that, that side of it forward, and I feel like it's, I, I like to be a mentor, too, so, you know, that if I can help shape that person um, a little bit in, uh, you know, in helping them sort of see the other reasons about why, they, why they're why they coaching and while they're on my staff, I think I can do that um, a little bit easier than sort of teaching them how to be competitive and, and, and the, win, the winning and losing part of it. So, um, you know, that's been, I'm super fortunate now, I'm looking at one of our assistant coaches who uh, Kyle Lindsay who came to us this year from misericordia University, and uh, he's the perfect balance of both. I mean he was a graduate assistant at Misericordia. they they've won their conference nine times in a row. He was a player there um, and and then was a coach there after that. so he spent seven seasons in a winning program and uh, he's a young guy and and he's kind of he's got a really good balance of both of those areas, so I'm super fortunate right now, but at the end of the day, I think he's the one that pushes me on the competitive side to say hey we need to we need to amp things up a little bit."
0: I think it's important to it's great, you know, it's really important to have that balance and, uh, I appreciate that you, uh, you, I'm sure that's part of the reason for your success is, is having that balance and having some, you know, a little bit of a different perspectives. And, and like you said, I like just what you said about having, uh, you know, when you have good coaches, they don't always agree with one another and and you want guys to have their own opinion and their own ideas. And, uh, but at the end of the day, obviously it's your, you know, it's your final call. Um, one of the things that you mentioned just going back a little ways um a couple answers ago a couple questions ago was you you guys you have a meeting at the beginning of the year to establish uh your expectations your team rules things like that what are some team rules that uh, a high school player could expect to see when he gets to college
1: yeah sure um i think some of them are just the classic like timeless Rules that are that I think every coach has and and one is is being on time. I think that's where it starts and uh, This is the first when guys get to college, especially It's really the first time in their life that they have sort of complete autonomy over their decisions and um, And so that's really you can you be where you need to be at the time that you need to be there? I think says a lot about um, That person in particular and, and just a lot about the culture of a team um, our guys are really good about that, which I'm fortunate. It sounds silly and simple and, and and almost like why why wouldn't they do that? but you know I think you'd be surprised at 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 different places out there where, where that may not be the case. So um, you know it starts there and then it, the other the other expectations are that guys don't miss any class. Uh, they they need to be in class every single day and um, no unexcused absences and and we're able to check on some of that stuff with their professors and, and classroom checks and things like that. Um, you know that they wear the right practice uh, gear every day. We have a practice plan that goes out um, plenty early enough in the morning that specifically states what we're wearing that day for practice. That all the way down to their belt color and and pants and t-shirt hat, whatever it is, they need to be in that attire um, when they get to the field um, and ready to go. Or or we send them home and. and the the point that uh, that we try to make is there really are no small things that that, that all these things add up to to being bigger things. Like if we can't pay attention to details in uh, in our off the field life. How can we expect you to execute a perfect double double cut relay to nail a runner at the plate or um, you know get get down a suicide squeeze bunt you know on, you know on command when we ask you to do that and pay attention to all the details of how to execute those plays. So. It even spills over into our clubhouse, and this is something that, that Coach Lindsay brought to us you know, this year from his experience was we're very fortunate to have um, you know, two locker rooms where each guy has their own stall and where all their uniforms are kept and their, and their practice gear and everything else, and inside each of their lockers is a sheet that lists exactly in which order uh, all their uniforms are supposed to be hung up, where their practice pants go, where their gloves go, where their hat goes, and if their locker doesn't look like that at the end of a practice, then and we run the next day. So, again, just trying to really drive that, those expectations of paying attention to details, and I, I think that's really the the bottom line.
0: How open are you with recruits about, you know, what just those level of expectations and, and that level of attention to detail, you know, before they come in?
1: Yeah, well, we, we walk them right in the, one of the first things we do when they get to our field is we walk them right in the locker room and, and show them that sheet that hangs in the locker, and and kind of just like I'm talking with you, it's the same. It's the same message of like we really feel like doing these things helps is going to help your life. You know, we're here to be educators, and uh, if you can't take care of your this space that's you know three feet wide by five feet tall, you know how can we expect you to take care of of the crazy schedule that you're going to have to manage? You know, once we once you get here, you know, between weightlifting and practice and games and class and everything else that goes into it. Um, and a lot of it's funny. The parents, a lot of times, you know, are the ones that that really appreciate that message. And I think some of it can sometimes get lost on the recruit. But I think certain guys actually really uh, appreciate that. And, and the interesting thing, even with our current team, um, is I think a lot of times guys, that, you know, high school age, college age, especially younger college age guys, like as much as they don't realize it, they want that structure and discipline. And once you start to give them a little bit of that, um, you can really see some quick maturity growth and and just some different, just almost a change in that guy for the better. Um, and they'll come back and say like, Coach, I never realized how much like like now I take I, I make my bed every morning and I take care of my room neater just because you're asking me to take care of my locker better.
0: Not to beat this to death, but I had a, a player as a <clears throat> as an assistant coach in college. Who didn't like to have to be under those type of constraints and I can recall at one point specifically we were in the batting cages in in the winter and um, at that you know it, there were times when we let the guys come into the cages just in in shorts uh, if we were just going to the cage to hit and uh, this one particular player who was one of the better players on our team and he knew that, um, did not want to tuck his shirt in, and when he got to my cage, I would not throw to him until he tucked his shirt in, and he didn't like that. And and there, like he would legitimately tuck his shirt in for my cage, and then he would untuck it again when he got out of there, and and I had a pretty stern conversation with him afterwards. And I know that one of our other assistant coaches at the time was like, because we had some other issues with this with this guy. He just he had some discipline issues from time to time. He had some issues just with. Basically, taking direction, and one of the other assistants was said to me like, "Hey, man, pick your battles. Like this was, you know, a small thing that uh, maybe you don't need to to go head to head with him on." And I, I was like, "No, this is, this is one of those things that's really important because, you know, th- for a lot of reasons." So before, you know, without going on a tangent about it, if you had that player on your team who just did not see the importance of these little things that had nothing to do with you know whether it does or not in his mind it has nothing to do with what's happening on the field how do you communicate yep. with that player and get that player to to really understand why it's important to you and why you spend time on it and you know why wouldn't we just spend time going out on the field practicing why are you worried about how i'm dressed and how my locker looks what's your conversation with that player
1: yeah i think it's uh you know it, sit down in the office one-on-one and and uh and really, I think the point that I make to our guys is like, hey, listen, I, I played for some great coaches in, through high school and college, too. But, you know, these things weren't weren't things that even they asked me or, or, our, or my teammates to do at that time. But looking back on it now, I wish they had because I think I would have been a better student. I would have been a better player. I would, I, you know, I would have been just an overall better person sooner if, if, uh, if these things were asked of me. You know, and then I try to take it one step further and, and say, listen, like, when you graduate from here and you, and you leave, you know, you're gonna. What's your goal? And and a lot of times they're gonna say, well, I want to have a job and make money and and X Y And, Z. and I and I tell them, I say, you think your your job's not gonna have a dress code and and you're not gonna have a, a a certain time that you need to show up to work and a certain expectations that you're gonna to need to do in order to collect that paycheck every two weeks. And, and just kind of shoot them straight as to why I'm kind of doing him a a, a benefit of, of of holding him to those standards because. I'm not just looking at it on the baseball field. I'm looking at helping to better his life. And, you know, you got to hope some of that resonates. And and I do have a little bit of a bleeding heart for kids, um, you know, when it comes to to that part of it with the discipline. And um, I'm not afraid to give a kid second chances and and sometimes even third chances depending on the situation. But I do think that there are some times at the end of the day where you just got to get the – if it's the wrong guy on the bus, you just got to get him off. So. Um, but in that particular case, I think it starts with that type of conversation, and, and hopefully you can see a change
0: and, and go from there. i want to talk about another thing along the same lines. You kind of mentioned, uh, again, a while back, several questions ago, and um, you mentioned team rules and also just expectation in the classroom. Um, what do you talk about with your guys as far as expectation in the classroom? And I, And I think this is important to get into because for anyone that's listening to this that is – uh, in any way involved with high school student athletes, I think sometimes a high school student athlete thinks that when they get to college, it's just going to be about on the field stuff and, and in the off the field stuff. The classroom stuff is just kind of up to them, and they're not going to have a coach up their butt about it. Um, you know, but what is what are the conversations you have with your players? What are your expectations for your players as far as you know what they what they're doing in the classroom?
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's funny you mention this because I I even have a video on on the website about uh, you know, about current guys and their grades and it's kind of how it correlates to the guys that end up on the field. But I think the initial message, you know, is just that, you know, we expect you to do your very best in everything that you're doing. And, you know, your grades are, are a reflection of that. And, you know, so it, you're sort of putting together your own little advertisement to the coaching staff on, you know, why you should be a part of the program, and and why, and one step past that, even like why we should put you on the field. And I do in my career, I've seen a direct correlation between um, guys that are that are good students and guys that produce results on the field. And so, you know, even last year at our we have a team meeting when we get back in January, and uh, you know I go through a PowerPoint presentation, and and sometimes I think our guys are maybe half asleep by the time I get I get near the end of it. And, the last slide i pulled up i said all right guys here's the starting lineup for you know the first game of the season and of course that will come up and and i posted the lineup you know just based off of gpa I said if we play today this is who we put on the field look at their gpas and you know one through nine and our starting pitcher eight, uh, nine out of ten of them were uh, over three two and only one guy was below a three oh and i said listen if you want to take the 10 percent chance of being that guy that's not holding up their end of the bargain in the classroom and, and thinks you're going to get on the field like be my guest but look what you're up against here and I said I don't look at the I don't look at your GPA when I write the lineup but this is just the way it shakes itself out and uh, I think that really resonated with the with the players um, and it's funny I think we're at a point now where we're recruit where we know the type of student that we need to recruit to, that will um, you know that wants to be in the classroom and and that we don't have to chase down to to turn their work in and things like that. So I'm very fortunate, especially at the type of school that we're at, where most of the time we're getting academically motivated guys. But I guess the point is to just try to push them to to really do the best they possibly can.
0: I think it's so important, and I have heard from the time I started coaching, you know, when I was just trying to learn everything I could about coaching, I've heard from them, and from then until now, that if you don't get it done in the classroom, you're not going to get it done in the field, and I don't know how often you've done it, but I've taken chances on guys who are very, very questionable in the classroom because they were so talented. And it it was like inevitable that there was going to come the day when I was disappointed with that player's uh, output on the field. And at that point as a coach, you look back and think like, boy, was that, was that worth it? I mean, was it worth it to take this guy? He was so, so talented on the field, but, just didn't take care of the small details, and it and it comes back. It, you know, like I said, there's always it always comes a time when you're just, you are just you're disappointed in something that he does. I mean, has that been yeah. your experience as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think we all do that. I think you know, it, it's almost like is the juice worth the squeeze type of thing. Like, yes, we want to have guys that um, are good students and and good people and everything else but at the end of the day like we're also we are we are also here to win baseball games and from time to time you do take a chance on a kid and you know i've seen but i've seen it go both ways i've had situations in the past where you know i might have had that feeling about a guy and he comes in and he does buy in and and you know it's the same kid that's that's hugging you on senior day with with tears rolling down his face because of the impact you've had on his life and you know i've had the guy that that doesn't even make it to fall ball you know because they just can't handle it so I think it goes I think it can go both ways, but um I never thought a coach for for taking a chance on a kid that, that they think they can make
0: an impact on. So let's um wanna kind of switch gears a little bit and just go back to you know, winning in general. So we talked about, you know, how important team culture is to to winning, um and, and sustained success. But for you, Coach Torsani, if you if you were to lay out a blueprint, you know, on paper for a winning team for other coaches to follow, give me, give me maybe the one element. Let's just start with one. Give me the one element that you don't think a team can win without, whether it's Arcadia or whether it's LSU or or whatever. Just winning baseball starts with blank. If you don't have blank, I don't believe you can have success. Whether it's recruiting or or your call or the culture or you know, assistant coaches or whatever you think it is, what's what's maybe in your mind the one most important thing that you absolutely cannot win without?
1: Man, that's a good question.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to kind of take it a little more on the field, I think. And I think the obvious answer would be good pitching, but I, I'm actually going to say uh, good defense. And I think that, you know, we tell our guys all the time, like hitting is kind of fickle that, you know, you could face a really good arm one day and it's gonna to be tough to score runs and, you know, your pitcher can come out and, and maybe not have his best stuff, but the one thing that can't slump ever um, is defense. And when you play against a really good defensive team that doesn't give up extra outs and throws the ball to the right base and doesn't give up extra free bases and, and makes the routine plays, like regardless of their lineup, regardless of the guy that they have on the mound, that team is really tough to beat day in and day out. And so um, I know that's one thing that, you know, we focus on a lot um, is, is that because we, we really feel like we can help control that as a coaching staff a little bit and, 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 and really hone in on some things that starting very simply with our throwing program and how important that is every day and, and the detail that goes into that and the structure that goes into that to take care of the ball. So I think that's the one thing that's really tough to win without is
0: good defense. Interesting answer, not what I was expecting from you. (laughs) That's great. Um, Very, very – to me, one of the most interesting things about that is that when you go to a showcase, you know, what's on display for offensive players is basically you take BP, so you're looking at a guy's ability to maybe hit line drives, but a lot of times, let's see how far this guy can hit the ball. You know, and even on defense, it's more about – you know, maybe hand quickness, but it's a lot about arm strength, right? I yeah. mean, those it's about, it's about the measurables at those things, at those type of uh, of showcases that you go to. And, and everybody, you know, most high school kids end up going to some sort of a showcase at some point. Uh, but it's interesting to me that the defense probably is the most important thing to you that you really cannot win without. That makes me think of just talking to somebody a couple of days ago about the Cubs and the Cubs are maybe looking to deal, you know, somebody this off because they have a, basically a couple of DHs in the lineup and, at some point, that stuff comes back to hurt you when you've you got a guy that can hit but just flat-out can't play defense. Right. Um, so yeah. let's talk about... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Did you have something else to say?
1: No, no, not at all. I think you hit the nail on the head.
0: Okay. Uh, what about your practice? So defense is a really important part to you about, uh, you know, of, of the success that, that your team has. Um, so do you feel like Arcadia... Uh, spends more time on defense than maybe most other teams do since that's a focus for you or is that just something that's sort of uh, you know incorporated with with other parts of your practice how, how what are your practice structures like There, you know just a typical day
1: yeah I mean um, it really depends it, it, it certainly depends on the day I, I, I think um, I, if we don't have really kids I wouldn't say we have typical days just because we're doing different things at different times but you know, the, the one thing that we stress to our guys that I kind of already mentioned is that the one thing we are going to do every single day is we're going to throw. And we're going to, we're going to throw for a period of time, whether it's 15 minutes, whether it's 20 minutes, even some days. And, uh, and, and again, like in hiring um, good assistants and guys that bring good ideas from other places and things like that, like coach Wendy's in charge of our throwing program here. And, uh, you know, it's not your traditional, like, Hey, you and I are partners. We're going to go play catch and you know, get our get limbered up for, for 10 or 15 minutes and be good to go. I mean, um, there's a little bit of an aspect of that in the beginning, but, but once guys are kind of are are kind of freed up and loose, we may take them on the field. Pitch, uh, catchers, outfielders, infielders, put put guys uh, at at all four bases, and we just do what we call it a four corner throwing drill, where um, you know guys are throwing one dire- the ball one direction around the infield, and then we'll reverse directions. We'll go across the infield and then to one side. So, um, and these are things you could do in a gym, too, which is kind of neat. And, and really the, the whole point is to just take care of the ball. Can we make good throws 90 feet apart that, um, that really are well executed and sharp? And, and I think that, that's something that we touch on every single day, um, which has really, really helped us. Uh, I think even this fall defensively and the other drill we do that again being a good coach I think is being a a good thief and a lot of people do uh, a a version of 27 outs or 21 outs but um, one of the things that we instituted this fall um, was a version of the drill where you know we're trying to make 27 routine plays no base runners anything like that it's just straight up routine plays and our players are the ones deciding whether or not we made a mistake on that play so it could be a base hit to the outfield and our center fielder short hops to cutoff man with nobody on base. Well, our guys are running off the field and the next defense is running on and we're starting back at zero because that just doesn't live up to our expectations and uh, of what we are all about. And, and it's interesting to see when who steps up in that situation in terms of which player and or players and, and kind of the players are then setting the expectation, which I think is the way that they really want to have it. So, a lot of those things we'll do up front in practice and and, and uh as well as our base running, I think you get most, their their attention is definitely the best at the beginning of practice. So if there's anything you want to teach, uh or the thing that you want to make the most important, um, we try to do that up front, um, at the beginning of practice and then, you know, after that you might you know, we kinda of get into our hitting and, and
0: some of our offensive stuff. Very good. In in an interesting way to kind of structure practice. I think it's a great way to you know, to look at it, if you're going to teach something that's got to be at the beginning. And I, and I like the fact that you guys are at least touching on defense every day and, and in base running is something that happens a lot at your practices, um, which kind of leads to, to a next question. Um, when a player first gets on campus with you, and, I, and I'm and i asking this specifically because of the amount of throwing that you do, uh, what is the biggest surprise to a kid when he gets on campus? Like what is he most surprised about at practice? Like, wow, we, we are really going to, we're spending this much time on this or maybe their body's not conditioned for a certain thing that you do, whether maybe it's, maybe it's running, or maybe you you do some kind of conditioning things with your guys, but what is it kind of typically the most, uh, the thing you do at practice that is that I guess the incoming guys don't expect to do as much, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: for sure. I I think, Certainly, from a defensive end, we just talked about it. Is the is the throwing every day and the volume, you know, of throws that that we ask guys to make. I think our freshmen, if they could do it all over again, would uh would probably have their arms in a little bit better shape, um, you know, coming into the fall. I think from an offensive end, it's probably hitting against velocity every day um, off of our pitching machines and even live arms up close. Uh, I know this is becoming more popular, and I think that's a really good thing especially at the high school level, and, and so we're getting more guys that are accustomed to doing this, but um, that's something that we do every single day in the fall, and they don't love it because they don't have a lot of success at it, and we pump the machine up to 90, and, and uh, we're really overtraining them, you know, to, to beat the better pitchers and the best pitchers that we're going to see come the springtime, and, um, and I think Again, like as an as an incoming player, when maybe you're used to just taking sort of some comfort BP every day or some front toss or whatever, and then you're in there off a hack attack that is humming pretty good, it's frustrating. And uh, I think those are the two things that I think it, uh, really kind of catch guys off guard.
0: So you hit that kind of velocity in practice, um, and, and I just want to I want to touch on just one thing really quick. So this is this has been. Really, uh, just something that seems to be popularized in the last couple of years, but if someone is not familiar, so, I mean, just, if there's been kind of a push to hit, you know, hit off of a of a machine that's throwing at pretty good velocity, as opposed to just taking standard BP. Why why is that? Why has that uh, something that's become more popular over the last couple of years? And like, instead of front toss and over, overhand BP from 40 feet away, you know, why has it become a thing, you, in your opinion, to hit off of a, a good, you know, a machine with good low?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, like, it kind of goes back to that old adage of, like, you know, every coach kind of says, hey, we got to slow the game down. And we and I think the best way to slow the game down is to speed it up in practice and essentially try to make it harder in practice than it's going to be in a game. You know, we don't face many guys at our level that are 90-mile-an-hour that are arms. I mean, we'll see it from time to time. But, you know, when we train against that every single day and we get into a game and maybe we're facing a guy throwing 83 or 84, that all of a sudden – now the game slowed down for them and they have a lot more confidence walking into the plate and walking you know walking up to the plate saying like hey i i hit i hit velocity harder than this every day at practice like this is nothing and uh and same thing with the breaking balls off those machines i mean the, the breaking balls that, that those machines can throw now are are filthy and really tough to hit and again are breaking pitches that we generally don't see from guys um you know day in and day out in the spring and, and i just think that at the end of the day, even though it might crush their confidence a little bit um, in the moment, I think when what you what you're training for is to, is for them to have confidence come game time, and I think we've just seen guys, uh, you know, confidence kind of skyrocket as a result of doing that. They're not afraid of anybody, and and uh, we kind of we kind of give it that, that to them every day. Um, so I think that that's part of the reason it's becoming popular. I also think social media is probably a big reason why it's becoming popular. You see a lot of it online um, on a daily basis and and uh and so i think that's been a big driving force too but i will say since we started doing it a couple of years ago we've really seen some pretty good results from it so um
0: it's something we're going to continue doing i like it a lot slowing the game down by speeding it up in practice so the you know the i think the old way of doing things in practice was more you know it was less challenging and you probably you know it left practice most guys left practice feeling pretty good just hit, you know, a great round of BP, um, you know, got some fungos things like that, and and guys felt good. But it's almost like now the push is, you know, just to kind of uh, to piggyback on your last comment, but the the push is kind of to to really make practice much more challenging and much more game-like so that when the game comes around, it's easier. And it's kind of the reverse uh, idea. So the confidence in practice might not be as high, but the confidence in games is probably higher. You know, than, than it would have been otherwise, because you're more well prepared for what you're going to see at game speed. Is that is that kind of the, uh, I mean, to 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 sum it up or say it a little bit of a different way, is that kind of the idea behind you know practicing at more of a game type speed, even when it comes to to BP.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know if you think about uh, and I, and again being the, the son of a coach that coached basketball, football, and baseball through the course of his career, and watching other sports practice for a number of years you know, baseball is really the only sport where, you know, you're you're not necessarily going live every single day. I mean, football practice, there's going to be a segment of football practice, generally most days, unless it's the day before a game, or where you're going 11 on 11. And you're going at game speed and, and going live basketball, same thing. There's there's generally a segment of practice where it's five on five, and you're scrimmaging. And, and, uh, you know, you're playing the game the way you would play it, if there was people in the stands and, and another team on the court. So, you know, I think in baseball, the limiting factor with that can be pitching because obviously you can't – you're not going to roll your pitchers out there for, you know, if they're not on enough rest or, or if you got games coming up in the, you know, the next day or two. But you can supplement that by using the machine, by using a BP pitcher that's a little closer to home plate um, and throwing with a little bit, uh, you know, more giddy up and, and even going as far as maybe doing some, some short box uh, BP where you have guys mixing pitches and, and making it more game-like. Um, I think that's something that is is really been a nice add-on to a lot of baseball programs that's been, again, that's been popularized over the last couple of
0: years. So what machine are you guys using at practice? What's your favorite machine that you've got? We have you- a
1: Hack Attack, um, and then we also have uh, one from Triple Play uh, Sports, which is, I can't remember the exact name of the model right now, but that one's actually uh, electronically programmable. The Hack Attack you can kind of set with the dials and, and throw different pitches, so we're fortunate enough to have two machines that we can get a lot of reps off of.
0: Very nice. So, 90 miles an hour at Division Three. I think that that probably uh, shocks some people, and you said you don't see it every day, but you will see it throughout the season. Um, let's talk a little bit, just, just a little bit about Division Three baseball, and maybe uh, try to give people that are listening a better understanding. Um, I talked about this in my last, the last podcast I did, but just about you know, going out to watch different levels of baseball, and very few people have, have seen a Division Three game or, you know, any level, you know, very few people can say that they've seen a Division One baseball game, a Division Two baseball game, a Division Three baseball game, and are, and are able to kind of see that there's, you know, how much disparity there is between the levels. Tell us a little bit about Division Three, just to maybe, you know, let's start with what kind of arms are you typically seeing in a conference series? You know, some of the better teams in your league, some of the worst teams in your league, what are they like on paper? Uh, just to kind of get it started?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think it's the most interesting thing about our level is that we see everything. Like, we see the lefty that is 74, 75 miles an hour with a change-up in the low to mid-60s, and we'll see the righty, the big Friday righty that's, you know, that's humping it up to 90-plus, you know, and we'll see everything in between. Um, I think mean, typically in our conference, and, and the, the best guys, are guys that have a little bit of plus velocity, which at our level I would probably say is anywhere from 87 you know, to 90 and, and also have a second and third pitch, and they locate well. I mean, they're guys that really could probably pitch at the Division One level um, in some capacity. And, you know, after that, the twos and threes a lot of times are guys that probably don't have one or two of those things. So maybe they're hard throwers that lack some command issues maybe they're guys or that have some command issues, sorry, uh, maybe they're guys that don't throw quite as hard but still have, you know, good second and third pitches. You know, we'll see a lot of 81 to 84 with a good slider and, and can throw up for strikes, and, and we'll mix those two pitches very well. Um, you know, and so that, that's the interesting part. And, and so that leads us back to practice too a little bit where we spend a lot of time with our hitters, not necessarily just on mechanics, but just on timing and how every pitcher is different and you got to kind of dance with each guy that's on the mound to get in on time for, for that guy. Cause like I said, you could face your first time through the order, you might be facing that lefty that's, you know, sort of that below bat speed, 75, 76 mile an hour lefty. And they might go to their better bullpen guy who's an upper eighties guy the next time through. And you got to be able to, to be on time for
0: both of those. It's really interesting. Um What about, you know, as far as, um, you know, the rest of the guys in the field, it's easy probably to talk about pitchers because because of velocity. Velocity makes an easy conversation. But what are you seeing, you know, what are you recruiting as far as position players? Um, you know, maybe what could what could people expect to see at Division three compared to some of the other levels when it comes to the guys that you, you know, some of your better guys, your, your defensive guys up the middle, your guys in the middle, of your lineup, you know, what are those guys like compared to some of the guys at, at, at other levels that they might see? Just comparing the level of baseball again.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of it comes down to depth. I mean, we, uh, not this past fall, but the past couple of falls, we played a Division One school in this area in the fall, and and we'd compete with them pretty well through most of the day, and and then generally what would happen is that their depth would start to take over a little bit, and and uh, you know, and, and so like our front line guys, and I think of really the really good D three programs out there, you know, you're looking at players that may not have been division one guys coming out of high school but by the time that they're sophomores juniors seniors like they're guys that would not look out of place on a division one field um i think the d1s just have all of those guys you know and so that that really is um a little bit of the difference i mean up the middle you're you're still gonna you're still gonna see some really good um defensive shortstops so i think that's the one thing i've noticed in playing in two regionals since I've been here is that every good division three team has an excellent defensive shortstop. Um, a lot of times that guy is undersized and that's probably why they ended up at division three and, and not at a higher level, but they can all pick it. They all make above routine plays and, and are just really, really good players. Um, you know, and, and all the better teams do have some guys in the middle of their order um, that do have some really good power and, again I think some of it comes down to body type. They might not be the prototypical six three, two hundred and thirty pound first baseman, you know, that's playing for Clemson. Um they might be five ten and two hundred pounds and, and maybe not a maybe not have the greatest body, but they can still hit and, and if you make a mistake they're gonna make you pay for it. So um it's interesting to see at different places some of the some of the different uh sort of physicalities of, of the players.
0: Just to make an observation for people who have never really seen those levels, and sometimes on paper, you know, you Division One, Two, II, and Three seem worlds apart. And I know that for guys that are being recruited, high school baseball players that are getting recruited, sometimes, and, and I and I certainly don't mean this, uh, you know, in a derogatory way t- toward the Division Three level at all, but just to kind of bring things together, I think kids get recruited by you know, a lot of kids out there have a Division One or bust mentality. If they get recruited by a division by Division two schools, they feel a little bit slighted and if they get recruited by only division three schools it's 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 really demoralizing for some kids until they get there until they get there and realize the level of baseball and, and If you don't mind I'd, I'd like to just an observation that i've had i I live near a pretty small division one uh college and in my family sometimes I go watch some basketball games there yeah, I would almost make the comparison that a a small Division One basketball team playing someone you know playing a top twenty five type of team. The disparity between the top twenty five Division One and the small Division One, who you know the conference whoever wins the conference is probably going to be a fifteen or sixteen seed in the tournament. Yep. The disparity between those levels of Division One is probably pretty similar to you know a, a mid to small Division One baseball team compared to a D three. There's there's almost the same type of disparity. You know from the top of division one to the bottom as there is from you know middle tier division one to a good division three team would you do you think that's fairly accurate just as far as giving people who've never seen the levels a, a better idea of how much how much of a difference there really is because there i mean there is but there's not that that great yeah. of a really of a difference so, i
1: mean absolutely I think that's a a really good um, comparison where you know even if you just look at college basketball this year was it last week when stephen F Austin went and beat duke like that's a it can, in baseball, like if you're going to play a mid-major D one against a good D three program, you know probably the majority of the time the Division one will win that game. But um, any given day, I think a, a good D three program has the talent to match up um, and could and could win the, uh, the base that baseball game on that given day. So I think that's a, a pretty
0: fair analogy. It's almost a, a similar analogy as well as that that the, the the you know the small Division one basketball team is going to have guys. They're probably going to have a pretty good shooter. Who's who's a little bit undersized, and they're and they're probably going to have, you know, a, a pretty good at you know pretty decently athletic guy underneath the basket, but he's probably going to be a couple inches shorter and and you know, a couple of uh, you know twenty thirty pounds lighter <laughs> than you might see yeah. at, at the really big school, but still guys that can play, guys that can handle the ball, and on the right day, you know they can they can pull out a victory. So that's just a, a thought that I had that I I think to give people a better visual because I think more people out there have watched you know the NCAA basketball tournament than have probably gone out and watched various levels of college baseball
1: so yeah i think the interesting part too from the recruiting side is like for us at the end of the day like we are we are kind of interested in the kid that feels jilted by the division ones and division twos because that's the type of player that we we think can make an impact for us right away so um you know that that's what we really push i think from a recruiting standpoint to some of those guys is all right well we understand uh, you know, when you woke up as a junior in high school on the first day of school, that Division 3 wasn't like your main goal of, and your and your dream school. But, you know, this could be an opportunity for you to come into a program that, that wins, that does things the right way, and you're going to get a chance to play right away. And I think that's what can resonate with some of those guys that might have initially had that, that D1 or BUS
0: mentality. And two things you just said that really resonate with me, the opportunity to play right away and the opportunity to win. Because my experience has been that if you lack one of those, it's, it's not going to be a totally satisfying career. And if you lack both of those, guys are probably going to look back with some regret. Uh, is, is, that, I mean, do, is that what you see as well? And, and do you see guys that play for you that win and have a good career? I mean, do they really look back into the their career and say, boy, I could have been a Division One or Division Two player? Or are they pretty satisfied with things just because they've had success on the field and, and you know, individually?
1: I think, by and large, that, that they're pretty satisfied and, and know that, it you know, like you said, it was a good experience. They got a chance to compete or win championships and play in NCAA tournaments and, you know, not to take anything away from, especially the Division One schools, you know, in the Northeast, but that's not always the case. So I think, you know, when they weigh their options, um, you know, for certain kids, being able to, to compete for championships and win, and it, it, that shows the guys we want. You know, we talked about recruiting earlier and, and bringing in the right guys. Like, that's a question we ask guys when they're on, on campus for their visit is how important is winning? You know, and, and a lot of times they give you a short answer, and we ask them to elaborate on that because we really want to hear um, how important that, that is to them because that's going to be a driving force. That's, that, that's one of the things that we can push here specifically that can help get guys to us.
0: So one or two more questions, and now I'll let right. you go. I don't want to take up your whole afternoon, even though I I think this is it's been really good. I've I've really enjoyed the conversation so far. Thank you. Um, when a player comes to visit, are there any are is there anything that player can do or say? And you may have just alluded to one. Is there anything a player can do or say that makes you less interested than, than before he came?
1: Um sometimes it's actually what they don't say that can almost make you less interested. Like, it, you know, we we run we, we have campus visits, and, you know, if players don't come in prepared with questions, and, and it just comes off as almost disinterested sometimes where you're like, hey, man, we spent a lot of time trying to set this visit up with you and, and put a good itinerary together, and then we get, we get to sit down and talk, and, you know, you don't have a lot of curiosities about what we got going on here. Like, really, how interested are you? Um, I think that's the biggest thing that we see more than anything else is just – and sometimes it's just that they don't know. They haven't really been coached up on how to handle, um, you know, the visits. But I think if somebody's listening to this that is either a prospective student or maybe a parent of a prospective student or a high school coach, I think it's pretty simple to sit down for 10, 15 minutes and help help the, the families with just come up with – a. it's just going to be a brief list of questions too because kind of like this conversation, I mean, the conversations are going to go – wherever they need to go. But when, when, when athletes, athletes come in sort of unprepared for that, that can be a turnoff. And, you know, the other side of it is, like, I just kind of watch out how, how do they treat their mom or dad and, and just even their appearance on the visit and, and some of those little things that we talked about earlier that even on a recruiting visit are being evaluated where I think sometimes uh, players miss the boat.
0: What about appearance can either, uh, you know, make you – I guess either uh, you know a plus or minus in that in that column. You know what what should what should a kid who's coming on campus for a visit. You know what, what would you like to see? What don't you want to see?
1: Yeah, I mean it doesn't have to be. We're not talking shirt and tie here or suit or anything like that. But you know a nice pair of jeans or khakis, a, a decent shirt that doesn't look like you pulled it off your floor. You know the morning of the kid <laughs> threw it on in the car and and uh, and rolled in and you know and and I would avoid sweatpants and mesh shorts and things like that. I mean at the end of the day, it's, it's almost like a mini-job interview, and, and I know a high school kid's not really thinking about it that way, but, um, you know, I know as a, I'm going to dress for a certain way for when we have guys on campus, and, you know, so the expectation is somewhat similar, you know, with a with a degree of, uh, a, of sort of variability from, from the recruit side, but um, like I said, a nice pair of jeans, a pair of khakis, a decent shirt. If it has a collar on it, that's a bonus, but, um, you know, I, I just think a little – just to show that you put a little bit of thought into
0: it, I think is the point. What if a guy shows up with, 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 put some thought into it and he's wearing a pair of mesh shorts so you can check out his calves or he's wearing a cutoff because he really <laughs> wants to show he's been working out. I mean, it, that's put some it, thought into it, right? That's true. That is true.
1: <laughs> if it's a cutoff, we're probably, I'm probably telling coach Lindsay that uh, I just had a meeting with the AB and I got a roll. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, all right. And then, um, uh, boy, I had another question, and to be honest with you, after that, I don't know what I was even going to ask you. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably a good place to stop. Um, sure. Coach Torosani, I, I really appreciate it. this. is This is Brian Torosani again. If you kind of jumped into this in the middle of the of the podcast, this is Brian Torosani. He's the head coach at Arcadia University, a Division three school in Southeast Pennsylvania. He's had a great track record of success, uh, a, a true winner, and to me someone who's really got it together. He's got a great idea of what he's doing. He's got a great plan, and obviously it's it's working. And I think you can, um, you know, look for Coach Torresani to continue to have great success where he is or even potentially move up some, you know, you know move on somewhere to give him other opportunities. But I think wherever he is, he's going to continue to have a lot of success. To me, people that just – some people just get it, and to me, Brian Torresani gets it, um, We're so glad to have you as a part of Figure It Out Baseball, Uh, you know, so blessed to have the videos that you've given us, and and your time today has really been a lot, so, uh, you know, Brian Torsani, I appreciate you being here, spending your time uh, on the podcast this morning, and, you know, hopefully we can get some more from you in the future, whether it's a, a podcast or more videos, but, you know, regardless, we just really appreciate everything that you've given to Figure It Out so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And, and like I said at the beginning, I, I admire what you're doing with the site, and, and you've got some really good coaches on there, and the content's fantastic. I mean, I've even jumped on and watched videos myself and have taken ideas from people. And so um, I think the more good baseball people we can get out there uh, putting content uh, on the Internet, I think, is a good uh, is only good for the game.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit like the like the convention that people go to, right? I mean, it's, it's no absolutely. different than that. Uh, you know, college guys can learn from other college guys, and, and that's what we've got on Figure It Out baseball it's it's figured out baseball.com uh it's it's all college coaches that are sharing information and a lot of times you know, there's there's video that's certainly meant for a younger age group but a lot of the content that's shared and particularly your content uh brian is is stuff that you're doing with your own players i mean it's i mean so, you are really putting it out there as far as what you guys are doing at practice right
1: absolutely yep that's that's what we know and that's uh what we think we do well so we and we don't mind people knowing it so
0: yeah, and that's such a healthy thing about baseball. One of my favorite things about the game is, is coaches that are willing to share, you know, what they're doing and having success. And uh, I'll tell you just on the website, I it's it's a whole lot easier to get college coaches to share information than it is pro guys. It's like the pro organizations want to keep everything bottled up, and the college guys just want to share what they know. And it's like they don't – it doesn't matter. I'm sure that there are some things that coaches would hold back that maybe they think is their secret sauce or whatever. But for the most part, guys are really willing to share it, and that's one of my favorite things about college game. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time again, uh, Brian. And, um, you know, good luck to you guys coming up, and, and we hope to have you back here again on, on Figured Out in a not-too-distant future.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much.